Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore columnist over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Mm, I got turned into like a vampire or Scott Summers this week, and it's not quite healed yet, so that was fun. That sounds like not fun at all. Nope, not fun at all. All right. Well, other co-host with us, hopefully, is not Scott Summers, because that would just be weird. Instead, it should be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hey there. And no, I am not Scott Summers. Okay, good. You are you are safe in that regard. Okay, good. He's not my favorite. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we had some stuff happen between last show and this show. Last show, we were talking about like the end of Legion and everything, and um, the Monday following no it was last monday okay so it was in between warbringers number one dropped um it was warbringers jaina obviously about jaina proudmore and then we also had the story quest start for the pre-expansion events they're calling it war of the thorns which i find interesting that's it's been a while since we've had a war that was actually properly named and just like emphatically named instead of just sort of inferred here and there um so I kind of want to talk about both of those things. We do have some emails and we may get to those, but first let's talk Warbringers. What'd you guys think? I mean, it was exceedingly well done. Uh, I think if you didn't know much about Jaina Proudmore as a character, it might've been a little opaque, but overall it pretty much laid down what she's been up to, what she did, why she's currently questioning the way she lived before. I think it's a pretty natural evolution of the character. And in terms of just, the way they did it, it was really well done. The the music, the singing. But Laura Bailey's got an amazing singing voice, it turns out. Um, overall, I thought it was really good. I think it was important. And I'll say it because of this. We talk about storytelling through various forms of media, whether it's comics or video games or books or short stories or audio dramas. But we never, or at least up to now, we haven't really talked about song and song is kind of important because in like the history of the world that's there's a lot of like historical stories or oral traditions that are passed down via song um and we we've seen this in the past with you know even warcraft with like lament of the highborn um this is is very important in that regard because it's something that i want to personally see more of because i think it's it speaks to us on a very instinctual level and draws us in even if we don't know the character and sort of to that point, I saw several people who had never played the game, uh, didn't know who Jaina was coming up to me at like work or, you know, friends of mine that knew I play and were like, who is this? Like, cause even they were watching it because their friends were linking it everywhere. Um, and they were really taken by it. Now, not only does Laura Bailey, as Rossi says, have an amazing singing voice, which, you know, dang girl. Um, 
but the the com- the whole composition of the song is important too because it's a traditional dirge. And I was going back and forth with a bunch of people on this. It, it's not a shanty, um, which is very free form. It's very you know you make up the words as you go along. It's timing, it's key, everything about it was a very distinct dirge. And that simple choice combined with the story that it was telling, the animation, and the quality of the song and lyrics was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, I listened to it probably a thousand times in the last week and a half. Um, So much so, and I was telling, you know, Anne and, and Rossi before we started uh recording i had to have the music for this so that i can learn how to play it um because it's it hit me so so hard so yeah really really good kind of playing into what you were saying about people that you don't know um my sister i've gotten her into critical role yay um and obviously laura bailey is one of the characters on critical well she plays one of the characters on critical role she's a person (laughs) But uh, when they came out with this Warbringer thing, I was like, wow, okay. I mean, I figured that she had a good voice regardless, but I hadn't actually ever heard her sing in anything before. And this was just gorgeous. So I told my sister, I said, oh, you have to see this thing that that Laura did where she was singing. And my sister was like, okay. I said, it's World of Warcraft stuff, though. She goes, oh, that's okay. I showed it to her, and she got to the end of it and was like, okay, so who is that? And what's her deal? (laughs) And my sister has no interest in Warcraft whatsoever. She's never played the game. (laughs) She knows it's a thing that I do, but Mm -hmm. she she has no interest in it whatsoever. But she immediately, she was like, can you tell me everything there is to know about that person? Because she was really cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, that is that is that is such a a perfect story of of what something like this can do. Yes. Yes. And the thing that I appreciated about it is that the song itself. A lot of people are like, I, I, I there are some people who. Well, okay, we'll get into the the, the more questionable aspect not the questionable nothing in it is questionable people are questioning parts of it and we'll get into that in a minute the thing that i appreciated is that the song that she's singing here this is a song from colteris it's from the land that she grew up in and it's a song that somebody over on the islands wrote after what went down after the third war so it's an immediate hey this is what they think of jaina like it's it like immediately first impression this is what she's going to be going up against when she goes back to Kul Tiras. and the weight of that is something that we haven't seen before um Jaina's an interesting character because she's been through a lot and the whole thing with Arthas I mean everybody always talks about the whole thing with Arthas where she had to leave him behind and then he became a lich king and then she had to deal with that in wrath and yes she was crying a lot but wouldn't you if the specter of the entire expansion is wearing the face of your dead lover yeah I would cry too probably nobody really talks about what she did to her father she doesn't even talk about what she did to her father it's not something that's ever she does it at the end, you know, in that particular... Was it War, was it Frozen Throne? Yeah. That campaign was in Frozen Throne, wasn't it? Yeah. The whole it was, uh, introduction yeah, it was... to Orgrimmar with Rexar and everything. Yeah. Yep. Um, it happened, and she sounds appropriately sour, sorrowful about it, like she's sad about it, but then we never hear it referenced again. So one of the things that I've been waiting for with Jaina, particularly after Theramore and everything that went down there... I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I think we've talked about it at least on the Blizzard Watch podcast, where after Theramore, I was fully expecting when Jaina just kind of went missing that she would go back to Kul Tiras and, and go back to like find her people because her dad was kind of right in a way, and maybe Theramore was what she needed to see that. And no, I'm not saying that her dad was right. Dalen's another one of those characters where it's like he represents the old way of thinking and Jaina was kind of from a newer way of thinking and with Theramore she was kind of slapped in the face with uh yeah you remember how you were trying to be diplomatic with these guys (laughs) they don't want it (laughs) and uh in, in a really explosive kind of way and everybody that she had called friend or you know any, anybody that she would thought of as family all of those people that she ushered safely 
away from the eastern kingdoms and away from the plague to take refuge on Kalimdor. They were gone, like blink of an eye. And she was kind of responsible for it. So I kept expecting her to like go back to that at some point and it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And then Warbringers came out and I'm like, ah, it's happening. It's finally happening. So yeah, I, I was really excited about this. Um, in regards to the questions that people have, there are a lot of people who are asking whether Jaina is like possessed by the old gods or if she's suddenly a necromancer now or what's going on with that. Do you guys want to talk about that? she's not evil like or at least not in that capacity and i maybe kind of sort of can see where people are saying that but like she's just seen some things she has seen a lot of really terrible things and she has been broken down over the course of a decade at this point like this is like put yourself in her shoes put yourself in in a position where everything you believe everything that you built your life upon has been slowly or not so slowly eroded and stripped away from you uh taken away by various means whether it was you know a bomb going off in your city or friends that you thought you had turning their backs on you uh at you what you feel is one of the most grievous uh sort of slaps in the face that you could possibly suffer and then Combine that with the fact that you literally have nothing else and you look back on all of your sacrifices, everything that you've done that people told you not to do, that you were so convinced that you were going to, you know, this is the right way to do it, only to find out, well, you're done messed up or it wasn't there and you have nothing to show for it anymore. Like, I don't care who you are. That's going to mess with you and that's going to make you a lot more sullen or driven uh, depending on who you are. And she just happens to be very driven right now. Uh, that's not evil at all. Rossi, you want to chime in here? Uh, okay. I'm just going to do it. I don't care. If Jaina had, had convinced Varian to destroy the Horde at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar, he'd still be alive and Teldrassil would not be on fire. Yeah. Um, if people listened to Jaina and destroyed the Horde, Azeroth would be better off. There is I... no disputing it. No, I don't. You got to talk, man. You can you can come <laughs> in when I'm done. The uh, the Legion, whether or not they could have beaten the Legion, I don't know. Uh, we'll never get to see that because we didn't get to see it. But Rathion thought they could. And here's the Rathion, thing. you know, Rathion thought that the uh, Alliance could take out the Horde, consolidate power, and here's the other thing. If they'd killed Garrosh Hellstream, no matter what, you, you read War Crimes. War Crimes is one of my favorite books. The end of War Crimes, it turns out that the uh, the four, um, not four or five, I can't remember how many of them there are at the moment, but the uh, the August, what are they, what are they called? The ancient, uh, the August, the August Celestials. August Celestials were and putting four. Yeah, the, the August Celestials were putting the Alliance and Horde on trial. If they would killed Garrosh, they would have been con- they would have been condemned. I don't know what would have happened then. Uh, presumably, the August uh, Celestials would have attempted to carry the sentence out on them. So. That's a thing. I'm here's not sure my, here's my thing. If they had gotten rid of the Horde at that point, there would have been no trial because the trial wouldn't have happened in that capacity. Maybe there would have been some kind of judgment passed on the Alliance. Yes. But Garrosh wouldn't have escaped, escaped, wouldn't have gone to Draenor. We wouldn't have gone to Draenor. Gul'dan wouldn't have come back. The Tomb of Sargeras wouldn't have been opened. We wouldn't be dealing with the Legion at all. They'd probably find some way around that because Sargeras is clever but well at any rate it's impossible to argue yeah whether or not you know could we have beaten the 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 uh legion without the horde's presence i don't know the answer to that question it's fair to say that neither the alliance nor the horde as entities participated in this war uh they were busy messing around in storm you know in storm i want to say no, i can't even say stormheim today uh they were busy messing around in stormheim uh, so they, they didn't participate as groups. Individual members, yeah, individual members of both gr- of both factions took part, but not the leadership. Um, so let's we'll leave that out for now. It's certainly an argument you can make that without the uh, horde's presence and horde horde members, they wouldn't have beaten the legion. But it's fair to say that if you're if you're a night elf right now, that probably is relatively cold comfort considering you just had your entire way of life destroyed. Um, and you've, here's the other thing. People argue over and over again 
that the Alliance and Horde have been at war this whole time and Sylvanas's arguments make sense. And they do make sense if you're willing to be the aggressor. If you're willing to attack people who have not actually attacked you first, if you're willing to firebomb civilians in their homes, if you're willing to do these things, then yes, her arguments make sense. I think we're moving ahead a little bit there, right? No, no, no. That's from Cataclysm, dude. The Horde was firebombing people in their homes in Cataclysm. It's fair. That's not moving ahead. The Horde have been doing this the whole time. Um, There's a problem. I have a real problem with this in that, you can't paint Jaina as some kind of evil necromancer or old god possessed whatever. I think when, that the when reason... she's just been right the whole time, her yeah. arguments are are valid. Whether or not let me, you let believe me the Horde in. did anything, let me. Let you me know, that's in. not the point. Let me step in for a second here. I think the reason that people are assuming that she's indulging in some kind of necromancy is because of the content of Warbringers itself because there were a lot of ghosts and dead people and she was pulling a ship out of the water and handed sure. over a necklace to a dead guy. But I, I think, think it's more metaphorical than the anything. The dead guy is also guys you have to think about who that dead guy was. Mm-hmm. That's Dalen. That's her father. So it's possible what you're looking at is a metaphor for her coming to grips with the fact that she has moved back towards his side of things or the fact that she's been haunted by his death since it happened and this is just a physical representation of it that we're seeing right this is this is just like a rep an artistic representation of everything that she's going through because that necklace that she handed over when he disappeared she didn't hand over a necklace to anybody because she's wearing it in, in in battle for azeroth like she's chosen to put it on and keep it um and kind of take on that and it's that, of her father's uh, yeah. daughter, you know, um, that act that actually causes him to fade out. It's the act yeah. of saying, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I've accepted it. Whether or not you, you know, Alliance or Horde, wherever you feel on this subject, whatever faction you play, Jaina's actions make sense from her perspective. Yep. And you can't argue that they don't. And you can't argue that she if she was to come to you and say right now, if you'd done what I said, Varian would be alive right now. If you'd done what I said. Teldrassil wouldn't be about to be burned she'd be right you can't argue that she wouldn't be if they'd listen to her there'd be no horde to attack them right now that's just a fact if you're Jaina Proudmoore you don't have to you don't need to be crazy you don't need to be possessed by old gods you don't need to be you know working necromancy you just you have your unshakable belief in your own rightness which has been reinforced over and over again that's all it is Okay, I'm going to take us back on to the subject at hand, though, which is, like, the short itself. Like I said, I think that a lot of people were taking the events of the short in a literal capacity, like she was actually seeing ghosts and talking to ghosts. Now, that was in her head, guys, and and it's, you know, Joe mentioned that the song is a dirge, and it is, kind of. It's her, it's not just a a dirge that they composed in Kul for the death of Dalen Proudmoore. In this capacity, in this animated short, it's almost a dirge for Jaina's old life. Mm-hmm. It's a metamor- that, it almost that, a metamorphosis of self for her. Yeah, it, for that op- optimistic diplomat that she was, the one that wanted to work together, the one that spent most of her life wanting to work together. You have to understand that Jaina, like... If you go into uh, the Arthas novel, there's there's a scene in the Arthas novel where Arthas, a young Arthas, like on their first meeting, first or second meeting, they're still like kids at this point. Arthas takes her to the internment camps where the orcs are being imprisoned after the end of the Second War and shows her. And her immediate thought is of sympathy. She's like, poor things, because they're lethargic, they're imprisoned, nobody's letting them out, and they're just sort of, you know, sitting in the dirt all day, they don't have anything to do, and she feels kind of bad for them, and that's always been how she's seen them, that's always, like, from when she was a kid growing up, and yeah, in... In Warcraft 3, there was some hesitancy on her part when they got to Kalimdor and Medivh said, you guys need to work together. She wasn't immediately gung-ho about that idea. There was some questioning involved, particularly because, I mean, her own brother was killed by the Horde. So where does that fit in? You know, where does all of that fit in with the people that she's speaking to at that moment, with Thrall? Thrall is unlike any orc she has ever seen. 
Thrall is unlike, arguably unlike any orc anybody has ever seen because Thrall was raised in a specific set of circumstances that had him with an entirely different upbringing. He wasn't really raised as an orc. He was raised as a slave and he was raised by humans with the human language and almost human ideals. It was a human who taught him about the concept of armor. It was another human who taught him about reading and how to read and running books and all this other stuff. Like... He grew up outside of that horde way of thinking, and he had to relearn it. In that way, I almost think that he was probably a really ineffective leader for the horde, if the horde wanted to be the horde of old. But Thrall was trying to lead them into a new future, and some of them followed him willingly, and others began to question over time, yeah, you know, you let us out of the internment camps, you showed us what it is to be free, but... Now you're wanting to shake hands with the same people that locked us up? What's up with that? You know? So you have Jaina who spent like the majority of her life in this role as a diplomat trying really hard to foster that kind of peace. And Thrall stepped down, walked away, put Garrosh at the head of the horde. Garrosh immediately started an an outright attack on Theramore, destroyed the city. And when he destroyed the city... He destroyed Jaina Proudmore, and I think that this period of time in which she's been absent and we haven't seen her from, you know, the end of Mists through Legion, we've seen her in little bits and pieces, but we haven't seen her entirely. I think it's because Jaina's been trying to figure out who she is, and Warbringers is almost, it's not just her coming to terms with how her father's kingdom feels about her and her actions. It's also her coming to terms with herself and who she is and saying goodbye to that optimistic diplomat because obviously that never did her any good. It didn't do the alliance any good. It didn't do anybody any good. All it did was result in a lot of people getting killed. So I don't know. I just, I really appreciated this short and I don't know what the other two are going to be like. Well, I mean... We can speculate about it, but we don't actually know until they show them. The Sylvanas one is going to be fascinating just to get to see what's actually going on. I would love to get something of the internal life of Sylvanas Windrider. We don't get a lot of it. We got some of it in, in War Crimes. We got a taste of it in the in the, the comic, the Three Sisters comic. We got mm-hmm. a little tiny bit of it yeah. in uh, Dark Mirror. Yeah, and, and there's... I think before the storm is interesting because it does everything in its power not to show you what she's feeling or, th- you know, thinking. She tells you things, like, because she's talking to the Thanos. She takes actions, but she never actually, you never get to see how she feels about them. There's very little of what she's like as a person. You get to see it through other people's view of her, and that's interesting. But it doesn't, you know, but none of this is about Jaina, which is supposedly what we're talking about. So I'll shut up now. No, it's okay, because we can move on to Sylvanas. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is, obviously, we've got the first part of the War of Thorns going on right now in-game, and this is kind of the lead-up to the Battle for Azeroth expansion, and obviously what we're seeing here is a lead-up to what happens to Teldrassil. Um, and, spoiler warning, you guys, but, I mean, honestly, if you... if you It's so quick. Bre- if you have been breathing anywhere in, in the... Teldra- Teldrassil's burning... <laughs> I mean, it's going to burn. It's just a matter of time now. Um, we, we haven't gotten to that week yet. We're we're counting down the weeks now, and it makes me kind of sad. Uh, but what we're seeing here with the whole War of the Thorns thing is that very much the impetus of it all is the Azerite that's popped up in Silithus. And Sylvanas... Sylvanas is so weird at this point. Um, but you have to... You have to give her props on her logic as far as that goes, because she is being very analytical and she is being very, when when you sit down and you look at the bits and pieces and you don't think about the people, Sylvanas is going, okay, there is stuff in Silithus that we want. The Alliance wants it too. We need to cut the Alliance out of the picture so that we can keep this stuff because it's highly dangerous, very explosive, and it'll make some really amazing weapons. And if the Alliance gets it, they're going to use it against us, probably. So how do mm. we do that? Well, Theramore is already out of the picture. What's the other big alliance stronghold on Kalimdor right now? That would be Teldrassil. 
So we need to go cut them off at the pass and make sure that they can't get any ships in and make sure that they can't even get access to this continent. And that's kind of her reasoning for sending people north. And it's solid reasoning, as far as that goes. From a tactical standpoint, it's solid reasoning. At the same time, I mean, my first character was a night elf. You know, like, my first... My first steps in World of Warcraft were in on Teldrassil. So all of this is hitting me kind of like punch to the gut as as far as that goes. And I mean, I can admire her from a tactical standpoint. Yeah, she's got sound thinking and everything. But at the same time, it's like, ah, everything is falling apart. And the thing is, is like, I like both, both factions and I make no bones about that. I have played both factions. I have mained Horde for God only knows how many years, but I've always had an Alliance alt and I've always played Alliance too. So when they come to a head like this, it's really hard for me because I like both sides for vastly different reasons. And when they butt heads, I'm just like, babies, don't fight. <laughs> but they're going to fight whether I like it or not. Um, Sylvanas, though, uh, there are a lot of people that are also kind of wondering about her intentions and what's going on with her and whether she is evil or if she is corrupted by some sort of unknown force, like she's got the old gods behind her. I don't think that she's got the old gods behind her because the Void is afraid of her. I think that there's something else that's driving her and maybe we should talk about that. Joe? I don't like any of it. <laughs> um, and, and, here, and here's the reason why I don't think what she's doing makes a whole lot of sense to begin with. Because, okay... If you want to take it like, oh, we're, she's eliminating a port city. Not really, because attacking a city directly is a lot more resource intensive, especially when you're coming right off of a war, than just maybe attacking your enemy's supply lines or playing pirate and nailing the ships that are yeah. you know, transporting the goods. That would have been the smarter play. And so her attacking Teldrassil doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Also, map-wise, I'm fairly confident the Exodar is the next stop in that chain, not Teldrassil. So Darnassus is further north than the Exodar is. It's like everybody's kind of forgotten that the Exodar is yeah. there. I'm kind uh, of wondering it, I mean, about that, too. I'm like, well, you guys are going to, like, get rid of the tree or whatever, but what about the giant Naru ship that is fully two, functioning? Guys, to, yeah. to be fair, to be fair, her plan is not to get rid of Darnassus or Teldrassil. It never was. And her plan is not to stop the Alliance by destroying a port. Her plan is to take over Teldrassil and Darnassus and use yeah. the civilian population as hostages. Yeah, you, so we so that. she's committing a war crime on a scale far greater than burning the city. Burning the city is relatively merciful compared to what she actually tells people she wants to do. That's oh, no, from yeah, her. I agree with that. I she agree says that. up front, I want the civilian population to serve as hostages because then the alliance won't dare to counterattack. Yeah. Now, but there, but there's also more to it as far as I'm concerned as well with that. It, it it's also like I understand she says that and that she's going to be, you know, wants to commit this atrocity. I mean, we're sort of spoiled because we know that Teldrassil is going to burn at some point. Yeah. Um which but even beyond that, taking taking away even if we didn't know it was going to burn, of the quests, she makes it a very clear point that she wants to kill Malfurion, which seems really odd to me. Why oh, no, no, no. I, right, I'll tell There's you why a... right now. It's very easy why she wants to kill Malfurion. Malfurion is the most powerful druid in existence. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't kill him, you have absolutely no chance of holding the giant world tree you want to take captive. You have no prayer. You cannot hold it against a guy who could basically talk to it and tell it, could you bend or shake yourself a lot? You know, but the, grab the everyone on you. We don't know that the world tree is, I hate to say this like this, but we don't know if that's capable of it. You don't and, know that and, one way or another, but if you're so right. honest. But why wouldn't you go after the person that's been running the army for. Oh, no, 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 because armies are, armies are easy to deal with. In fact, eventually she's probably going to convert them all to undead anyway, and then they'll serve her. You're never going to get Malfurion to work for you. I don't know. A whole army corps of priests that can channel the light might be a little problem, uh, trouble, uh, problematic uh, for her. She, I'm just imagining. Well, I'm sorry. Got, wait, right I, I, have to, I have to break in here. I'm just imagining Teldrassil, like the world tree Teldrassil, 
making a fist and just punching. Now <laughs> punching the Lord Army. Yeah, and <laughs> like, the thing is, is that... giant giant tree beyond all imagining, you know, size. You can't even render it in game. It's that big, just like this big splintered fist coming out of the sky. Now I will say, fair, like, let's put this another way to put it too. She's got priests on her side. She's got all sorts of priests. And For now, can, can she get druids to actually fight Malfurion directly? Obviously, if you're playing a druid in the game, you're taking the quests. The yeah, is, that's yeah, one of those problems. But can you actually say, get Hamul Rune Totem to commit, you know, all Tauren druids Turn to fight on Malfurion? Turn the Cenarian Circle. Yeah, so, can, but kill him. You know, if you have him assassinated, you can throw the Cenarian Circle into disarray. It's going to take the Night Elves time to get a new guy up there. And in the meantime, that incredibly powerful, scary powerful, so powerful that Sorfang knew we couldn't take him. Sorfang was like, nope. He'll kill me. I can't beat him. That's in the story. We've read it. Mm-hmm. Sorfang himself knew I can't beat Malfurion in a square fight. Sylvanas can't beat Malfurion in a square fight. And she knows it. Now, yeah, that, that, and that's fair. And it's I understand not that just he's a Malfurion super It's not just Malfurion you're fighting. It's also mm-hmm. nature. Yeah. And, and for that matter, I mean, yes, there's other people she should want to have assassinated. The fact that she's not saying go kill Taronda is kind of scary. Yeah. That's Taronda an incredibly powerful priest. I get you on that one, but I feel like this is a, a situation where Sylvanas has struck to the heart of the matter. Did she? If, if yeah, because Taronda is stronger than Malfurion psychologically. She's a stronger person. She's been through more. Malfurion has been sleeping on and off for like millennia. So, how do you take Taronda out first? Kill her husband. Make her come at you angry. But we Make her already come at know. You sloppy. But we no, already you, know that that doesn't work. <laughs> you know that. Does Sylvanas well, know that? Well, that's the thing. Like, that's another part that bothers me is like the assumption that we, as the champion of of the horde, wouldn't have told her that, or here, or, or given her. The alliance character might have done that. You don't know which side I'm just, in what zone. That's that's fair, but I'm just saying in the greater context. The other things that bother me about it, though, in general, are are, are twofold. One, shaman and druids taking on this quest that are basically seen as murder wisps and tearing down nature. Um, upsetting the balance like just happily is really weird to me like there's no like not even a, a line that like even in the text when you advance the quest that says I'm not really comfortable with this and her going you're going to do it anyway because you are my soldier like I would have been fine with that but it's just like yeah I'll, I'll just I'll go murder elves and burn forests down for you sure I got you dark lady um, that bothers me a little bit because I don't see shaman and druids going along with it and the other thing is about her two goals like taking the world tree and then knowing eventually that it's going to burn, but also killing Malfurion seems way too aligned with everything that happened in the Emerald Nightmare. And I understand where people are coming from on this one, because in the Emerald Nightmare, what were the two things that were, were going on there? Like trying to kill Malfurion and corrupting world trees. Like there's an entire boss encounter that is a corrupted world tree. Like we know that the old gods want something to do with them. So I could see where they could think maybe something is pushing her in this direction and I'm almost inclined to agree because while it makes some sense for her to want these goals, it seems way too darn convenient that those are the first two specific things she wants to accomplish. You know, I think that that's part of my problem. I think that's part of everyone's problem with this particular storyline is that it's just it's a little hard to swallow, particularly if you're a horde player. Because if you're a horde player, you don't get that chance to say, I don't want to do this. You, you well, especially don't... when you have a book that says, I don't want to commit to work because we can't do it, right? Yeah, you don't, get, you don't get that opportunity to offer any kind of feedback or anything. The Dark Lady says jump, and by the way the quests are written, you jump up and say, okay, how high? Without having any kind of opportunity to you know express your discomfort with the situation um and, and we and know that they've done i don't, done I don't class, recall they've... them asking me to you know that kind of stuff back in cataclysm when i was playing a torn and i was doing all sorts of stuff yeah but we know they, they've but, done I mean, class in you know the actual class stuff in quest before for that type of stuff so why couldn't they do it now yeah the the thing is is like this particular one i think it almost hits harder than the stuff that was going on in cataclysm yeah the stuff that was going on in cataclysm was pretty heavy duty 
um, particularly, you know, going into Missa Pandaria, all the stuff that was happening with Theramore was stuff where I was like, I don't really know if I want to do any of this. Um, the Theramore scenario was really hard to do as a Horde player because I was like, none of this stuff is stuff that oh, I, I, hated I, it. I agree with. Like, I'll, I'll do it because there's an achievement involved and I get a toy or whatever, even though I've never actually used that toy because, frankly, the fact that they made the Mana Bomb a toy, I'm like, yeah, that's tasteless. Um, it, it's just, it's... It, it's one of those things that's always kind of conflicted me as a Horde player, and that was part of the reason why I think I enjoyed Miss of Pandaria so much, was because there was a subset of Horde that actually stood up and said, hey, you know what, all this stuff that we're doing, maybe it isn't great, and maybe we should do something about it. And they actually turned on their own, and I was like, okay, all right, I can get behind this angle of it. I, I can, yeah, because I totally want to punch the heck out of Garrosh Hellstream. That sounds like a wonderful idea. I'm not being given that option here, and a lot of people are worried that this is going to turn into Garrosh Part 2, the sequel, right? Where we're all going to turn on Sylvanas or whatever, and I don't Mm -hmm. really want the situation to go that route either, because Sylvanas, I don't care for what she's doing. I don't like what she's doing, and I don't... I don't like how she's just so casual about sacrificing people even if they're just people on her own side like what happened well, but you before the storm none of them are you notice none of them are forsaken like in these in the scenario right in but the quest. In, none of them are in before the storm like the stuff that she did in before the storm where she cut down an entire swath of her own people because they dared to try and defect essentially and go back to their own lives and she cut them all down without a second thought about it and I I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't agree with anything that she's doing. And I think that the stuff that she's doing is particularly cruel and horrific. At the same time, as a character, I kind of have to appreciate that character. Because it's interesting having that kind of a character in a story. Like, you need that kind of villain in there. And we've been systematically wiping out villains left and right. So is Sylvanas actually stepping up into this villain role or is she just there temporarily? And the farther along we get, the more I have to question that and wonder exactly where we're going to go from here and what's going to happen with it. Keep in mind that we've played through Battle for Azeroth beta and, I mean, I haven't gone through the entirety of the Horde experience on beta. Um, I was saving some of that just so that I could play it when it comes out. But I don't know how much Sylvanas actually comes into play when you're on Zandalar. Not a whole lot that I think. And Thanos sh- is there, so yeah, Nathanos, one, presumes, but... one presumes that she is the one telling him what to do. Right. Sure. But, but, there's, no, but I mean, there's not a lot of her being mentioned. There's little bits and pieces. There's a quest where you, uh, well, I don't, yeah, that would be spoilers. There is stuff involving certain Forsaken characters that implies that Sylvanas has plans and she's using those characters to advance those plans. But we don't but, actually see her. No, not that I yet. So I feel like I feel like what we're going to do is we're going to do what we did. It's sort of like a Pandaria part two almost where we go to these people and we ask them to be our allies and all of this other stuff. And meanwhile, there's other stuff going on in the background. And in a patch or two down the road, all of a sudden we'll start to dovetail back towards that whole Horde and Alliance story again. But I don't feel like we're going to end with the comeuppance of Sylvanas Windrunner or anything like that. I feel like we're going to move beyond that fairly quickly to something I else. I think so, too. Yeah, and I, and I, I sort of in that, that point as well. I'm going to and be I... up front here. One of the problems I have with this story and with the faction conflict in general, but the, really the way it's being played out here, is that sinking feeling I have that, yet again, the narrative has the Horde basically smash the Alliance right in the face... And get off scot-free. Nothing happens. There's no ultimate cost to the Horde narratively for having done this. In the Mm. end, there will be no real consequence. Look at what happened at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar. Siege of Orgrimmar happened. There was this huge invasion of the city. Because the Horde participated in the, the invasion of their own city, the status quo was completely upheld by the end of it. There is no real difference. We got a new war chief who didn't really do anything and died in expansion later. There's no payoff narratively for these events. There needs to be payoff. There needs to be a consequence to these things happening. If there isn't, and I've got this sinking feeling that there isn't going to be one, then 
it was all basically just awful. And See, that's one of the things I'm afraid of. And I've got one more thing to say before. Sure, 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 sure. One of the things that I really – back in Warlords of Draenor, I was the one telling everyone to give Warlords a chance. And other people telling me, no, man, I don't like how this feels um, going into this. I don't like it. And I was wrong. I told people to like wait and see, and I was wrong. And I feel like that's happening now where people keep telling me to wait and see. But the pieces are in place for this to either be really great or really awful. Right now, it's extremely painful for me as a player to play through it. I've played. I've now done it both Horde side and Alliance side. There's stuff we're not talking about. One of the weird things about these quests when you do them Alliance side is that the the Torin are called conscripts. Yes. Which is really strange. How is she conscripting the Torin? What does that mean that she's conscripting the Torin? That's that's something that needs to get dealt with. There's a lot of stuff that needs to get dealt with. It could. And they. You know, this is a really good narrative team. I feel like that needs to be said, even as I'm saying that I'm not enjoying it. This is a strong narrative team, so I do want to give them a chance. But there's a lot of stuff here where it could go really bad if there's no consequences afterward. You also, have, have, to, to... You also have to realize that the narrative team that is handling this expansion and Legion to a degree is not the same narrative team that we had in Mists of Pandaria and Warlords. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been a complete shift in in writers and everything and the people that are kind of orchestrating all of this i'm willing to sit back and and watch and wait because what they delivered in legion was so far above anything we saw in warlords that i'm like okay y'all can tell a good story so i'm gonna be patient here and wait for the story to pay off but man these first few chapters are really grim you know what i mean and joe you were gonna say something i'm sorry go ahead I was just going to say, like, they've poised this story, even from what we've seen so far, at least in my, like, limited view, to do either a couple things. I think we're going to get a payoff at some point because I think it's ripe for that. But I think it's going to be sooner than later, just like just like Anne was saying. I think this particular conflict is going to get resolved early and we're going to move past it. And I think there will be a payoff. Um, I don't think it'll be what we're we're thinking. And this is. I think it's going to be this is me predicting and this is not insider knowledge or me having seen anything in the beta or anything like that. I think Rossi's right in that the horde as a whole is not going to bear it. I think the forsaken are. And I think that's going to be how everything resolves is that they're going to bear the brunt of that. Um, And I think that'll be interesting, but they also have the story set up for a bunch of different swerves like character motivations, character shifting, uh, characters stepping away potentially from, you know, what's going on in the greater conflicts. So I think we're going to get a whole lot of resolution a whole lot quicker than, like, let's say we did in Legion. And I think that's going to be okay. The part that I'm kind of unhappy with right now is, like I said, people aren't questioning anything. They're just sort of blindly following. But then again, I do know some of the stuff that's going to come up. And I know that that that's going to be touched on, at least with one character, and I'm not going to spoil anything here, but fairly soon here, we're going to see people suddenly start to go, wait, um, Sylvanas, you know, maybe this isn't okay. And I feel like that's going to be the start of it. I just, I don't want to see, the thing is, is like, do I want to see some kind of comeuppance presented there? Yes, because we have a different leader on the Alliance now, and Andwin has seen a lot growing up. And he extended his hand very willingly in Before the Storm. And look where that got him. It didn't get him very far at all. I don't think that he would, given all that he's lost and all that he's seen, I don't think that he would so willingly just step aside. I don't know. It's like, it's like I want to see, I want to see something happen, particularly given, you know, the scope of what's about to happen in game, as far as Teldrassil is concerned. And yet, at the same time, I don't want to see Sylvanas get the Garrosh treatment. Because while I did not like what Garrosh did, and yes, I did want to punch him in the face, and I was very happy to punch him in the face several times over on several different difficulty levels in several different raids, right? I was I was perfectly happy with that. I, I felt kind of, like, discontent with how he ended up in Warlords of Draenor. It felt like he was kind of a footnote, and he didn't really get 
a resolution. It was more like, hi, we're going to smack this guy down and he's going to die horribly. And yay, don't you feel better now? And I'm like, no, no, actually, I don't. I kind of wish that there had been more to that character. Like, I, I don't know. I've said it a few times now. Yeah. Narratively speaking, it is not it's not a good resolution to have Sylvanas just taken down because that's not really a punishment for her. No. Sylvanas, if you look at before the storm, Sylvanas is absolutely completely unwilling to consider the possibility that people could accept you from your previous life to the point where, when you look at um, the three sisters comic, the very idea that she might be able to reach reproachment, the fact that her sister says, I'm sorry that I just left. I'm sorry that I didn't think about how you would feel shakes her so hard that she abandons her plot to have her sisters murdered. And she had, you know, let's just, I'm going to just flat out say this. So Wells Windrunner has always been evil, but she's been evil on her own terms. And when I say always, I don't mean before she died, obviously. I mean, since she was raised as an undead, because she is incapable of being the person she was, and she's incapable of coming to terms with it. And you see that in Before the Storm. You see that when she destroys the, uh, the desolate council who are trying to flee to the Alliance side to be with their loved ones. She cannot conceive of it. She even says to Nathanos, there's an infection. It's like a disorder. I can't let this spread. I can't let other Forsaken look at it this way. It, it'll just hurt them. It's all a lie. In a way, it's kind of appropriate that we were ta- started talking about Jaina and then we moved into Sylvanas because Jaina's story is all about her finally accepting who she is as a person and, and saying goodbye to that side of her that just doesn't exist anymore. And Sylvanas is unable to move beyond that. Yeah. I mean, so there's this interesting dichotomy going on between the two of them. Really. I don't think it's even it's not even fair to blame her for that because she is undead. She's in stasis. She's in yeah. perpetual stasis. Why? Of course she can't move past it. How do you move past being a wound? You know, there is no way for her to, to you know, it, but, but it might be possible. And that's terrifies her. There's this, that everything in both before the storm and the three sisters comic points to this, everything in war crimes. When she says, you know, she starts twitching. She said talking it to since Brisa. day one, when you first clicked on her and she said, what are we, if not slaves to this torment? Mm-hmm. She yeah. still says it. Is she still saying? I haven't heard it in a while. Yeah, if you if you go through the uh, the quests and you click on her, uh, left click, not right click, to bring up the interface. She says it. It's one of the things she cycles through still. And that's if you think about it in terms of, I feel like people are trying to like point her. Try, they're trying to give her an exculpatory thing. They're trying to make it be the old gods. They're trying to make it be some force. I don't think her. it's an outside force. I think it's just yeah. her. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. This is a person who would absolutely do those things. And because they make sense to her, that's her worldview now. That's how she sees the world. The world is a place where no matter what you do, you end up this thing. You know, not just what are we, if not slaves to this torment. This is the world. Look at what happened to me. I am a cautionary tale to you. Don't do what I did. Certainly don't reach out to the person from your past that's still alive because she'll just hurt you. And that's exactly what happened in war crimes. The person that she reached out to just hurt her. I mean, granted, she was going to kill her sister and raise her as undead. But in her eyes, that was them being together. This is a person who can't view things like a living person. She's not even really a person, per se. She is, but she isn't. I think, I think she's trying to figure out. No, I don't think that she's trying to figure out what she is. I think she's working with the understanding that she knows exactly what she is and she cannot be anything other than that. And she's trying to get the world to cleave to that. And any time there's any moment of dissonance from how she views herself, that's when she goes a little bit out there. Harder. She got harder into the lack of humanity. Yeah. Like, there, it reminds me... I, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but it reminds me of like old school World of Darkness, like second edition back in the 90s, when like you had these factions of vampires that like purposely eschewed their humanity anytime they felt anything close to it. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, but they would basically, anytime they ever felt an inkling of like 
human morality. They would go murder like 10 people because they didn't want to be human. They wanted to be monsters, which to me, I think that the absolute worst thing you could do to Savannah's, the worst thing you could do wouldn't be to kill her, wouldn't be to remove her, wouldn't even be to take away the forsaken from her. It would be to infuse her with something that gave her back a sense of humanity and the weight of everything she's done to come crashing down. It on would her. be to make her feel again. Yep. And I, I, I say that we've we've already talked about the book uh, before the storm quite a bit. But imagine if something like what happened to Kalia happened to Sylvanas. What would happen to her? See, I, I don't I've think argued she'd be able to cope. I've argued from the beginning the worst thing you could do to Savannah would be to raise her from the dead. Yep, exactly. Absolutely, and exactly. Part of the reason for that would be because that would cut her away from the Forsaken in a way that nothing else could. Completely irreparable. Yeah, she wouldn't be dead. She wouldn't be their icon anymore. She'd be something else. And she'd remember everything she did, but she'd feel... There's a really interesting part of War Crimes where they talk about the Phantom Limb thing. I'm going to talk about it in returns to both... Jaina and yeah, I wanted you to bring that up because that's actually a good point with the war crimes there's, stuff. There's a part in War Crimes where Sylvanas goes to meet with her sister, more or less out of curiosity. She wants to see what Verisa wants, but she's not expecting what happens, which is that when Verisa says something off, off, just something unguarded, in a brief moment, she's like, "It was like a phantom limb." She couldn't feel it, but she could feel its absence. And she starts like twitching a little bit. She doesn't actually physically twitch, but she's like, it's, it's like twitching in me, the sense of love, what love is. I don't know what it is, but I can feel that I don't feel right. And it's like Jaina, because Jaina is a living person who's lived, you know, the past decade, she can look at the, what happened with her father and she can say, yeah, I, I get what you were trying to tell me now. I understand it. I can, she can make that movement. She can look at everything that's happened and still, she's still herself. She hasn't just abandoned who she was. She hasn't abandoned her motivation for doing the things she did. She's saying she goodbye just, to that chapter in yeah. her life. She's moved, she's moved herself to a different place. Sylvanas can't do it. And, she, and the thing is, is like when she had Verisa there, as she kept visiting Verisa, it was like a drug to her. She kept going back. She kept trying to get Verisa to come live with her. She was like, come, come stay in the Undercity. You don't have anything left in the Alliance. You know, we'll kill, we'll kill Hellscream, and you can come live with me. And, you know, meanwhile, she's thinking, well, of course, I'll have to kill her because nobody will accept her as a living person, but that's fine. I'll raise her, and then the two of us will be, you know, undead windrunners, and everything will, will fear us. That's what love is like, isn't it? That's the thing. Jaina can make – she can look back, realize her mistakes, and pick a new direction, whether or not it's right or wrong. Sylvanas can't. She doesn't well, have that luxury. Well, especially when you look at like her relationship with the Thanos, right? Like when you look at Blakehaller, like in life that was love between the two, and now what they have is the model of her love, right? Like she she forced him to be rebuilt and would have blood dark mirror. Oh god, right? that's creepy, and I just thought about that. The whole reason like yeah. oh, like her expression of love to Verisa was come live with me and I'll make you undead forever. Exactly. And stay with I me forever. You, and that didn't you... work. So what did she do? She went to Nathanos and said, yep. Hey, how would you like a new upgraded body? No, she didn't even ask him how he would like it. She said he was going to She's, do it. Oh yeah that Oh. Yeah, because she can she can order him to do it. Oh. Exactly. Already one of hers. She and, and and that's what I meant. Like like I I I've, I've since that came out, I have always believed that that process that Nathanos went through was meant for her sister. Yeah, probably. She wouldn't that, want her sister to just be a regular forsaken. Exactly. She wanted her to be as close to her as possible. But because so, yeah. she can't waste the resource of the Valkyr, right? Um, she has one lined up ready to go for this this outfit. She's been rejected by her sister. So who's the next best thing? The thing the thing that loves her in her approximation of love, Nathanos. Get over here and accept. Ah, okay, that's yeah. creepy. Um, it is. We, that's have, we have like a selection of emails and we're not going to be able to get to them because we are running low on time. But there is one of them here that I wanted to address. And uh, this one is from someone named Tim 
who says, Greetings, Trihos of Wisdom. I had a bit of a theory I wanted to run by each of you regarding Sylvanas and why the Loa chose her. Specifically, I believe that the Loa chose her, expecting her leadership to bring the Horde along with the Horde military to Zandalar itself. Most other Horde leaders, save maybe Gallowix, likely would have pursued some sort of peace with the Alliance in some form, leading the Horde to really not need any more allies and have no real reason to visit Zandalar. This would leave Zandalar to face problems it might not have been able to without the Horde at its side. The Horde helps Zandalar, Zandalar helps the Horde. This seems like something the Loa would really want. One other thought is on this. If this theory is correct, would this have been a lucky guess by the Loa? Or is there perhaps a time-based Loa with similar powers to Nozdarmu that would have seen her as the best option? This is a I good ha- theory. <laughs> it, it is. And the problem that I have is I really want to answer it with what I think happened here, but I can't because it involves spoilers for BFA. Okay. Major spoilers? It, it's early in the thing, so I don't. I don't know, but I'm still not 100% comfortable because I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't okay. seen well, we what happened there. We won't, we won't address that then. What I will say, my response, though... My response would actually be much, much spoilier than that because it involves a major part of the storyline. So. Okay. Yeah, let's, let me say this. I think there is a very specific reason that whatever Loa spoke to, to, to Vol'jin chose Sylvanas, and I think that the idea of it will become very clear very early into the expansion. Okay. I think I, I know what low it is up front. I mean, Same here. Yeah, Same here. I, I absolutely I, do. I, I haven't played through that content, but I think I know who you're talking about right away. The thing is, is like, this, this theory totally made sense to me, though, because it was like, oh, yeah, okay, because Loa are, if you haven't played on the beta at all, Zandalar is chock full of Loa all over the dang place and you talk to them and interact with them and there's all kinds of things that are going on with them um, a lot of the quests tie into that kind of stuff it's a lot of troll lore over there and it's really really fantastic and it's fun like it's gorgeous and it's fun to play through and there's just there's a lot going on there's a lot I know we've talked to Colteris back and forth I don't know how many times like to death but the Xandalar experience is it's beautiful. It's beautifully done. And one yeah, thing, it's, lore-wise, it's, mm-hmm. just one thing. The Xandalar Isle is to the Loa what Mount Hyjal is to the Ancients. Yeah. Yeah. And so if... Or like what Pandaria is to the August Celestials. Yeah, very much so. And there's, there's probably, like, one of the reasons that Xandalar Isle continues to exist as an island and wasn't just destroyed is the Loa. Mm-hmm. They, they, the power of them is what helped, you know, create... The uh, the barrier that kept that island there. So there is a lot going on with the Loa and the Zandalar that doesn't go on anywhere else. It's a it's a Loa that makes it so the Zandalar can have the equivalent of paladins. If you see, you remember the the guys in uh, Throne of Thunder. That's mm-hmm. a Loa. It's a specific Loa. Um, I can say that's not a spoiler. Razan, the king, the Loa of kings. Yeah. Who, by the way, is an awesome Tyrannosaur. He's a big devil sword. So Loa. cool. I. I love him. I love him. I just, I mean, I, he's got the coolest know, armor in the damn game. If you're not even, you can be like me and be mostly an Alliance player, but you know, dinosaurs, man, I'm never going to say bad things about dinosaurs. So this is why we're friends. But yeah. yeah, I really, I really liked this theory because as soon as he said it like that, I'm like, Oh yeah, that does make sense. Cause if Bane, if Bane had been promoted, Bane, Bane would have been fine would have been fine with allying with the Alliance, even if if just in a temporary capacity, because he's been talking to Anduin all along. You know, um, they're friends. Although that's kind of not so much now because of stuff in Before the Storm, which, by the way, if you haven't read Before the Storm, you probably should do that. It's a very good book. What are um, you guys waiting for at this point? Seriously, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you're interested in this stuff. Go read the book. <laughs> you should go, you should go, go check out the book. Anyway, uh... Lord yeah. Lothamar has done much of the same, too, I think, because he would have wanted to mostly be left alone. Like, Who? he wouldn't want to engage L- Lothamar. Oh, yeah, Lothamar wouldn't have had would... anything to do with it. He's too he's too close to the Alliance borders. He would not want to pick that fight. Well, and also, I mean, just, I mean, we're talking about Lothamar here. I don't think that he would be like, yeah, let's go ally with a troll nation. That sounds like a great idea. Well, not considering what that is doorstep and what he's been, you know. Yeah. Didn't you, the Sindor I do guys, not have the best history with trolls. <laughs> didn't you guys try to get the Imani to kill us at one point? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> water under the bridge. 
yeah, I don't exactly. think Lorthamar would have had anything to do with it. And then Gallywix might have, yeah, because I mean, money. If there's if there's gold there's involved, and boy, is there ever a lot of gold in Sandalwood. I mean, all you, have to do is, all you have to do is tell him that there's a city of gold, and he'd show up. <laughs> there's a giant Here's pyramid made out of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, but the Sandalari are the ones who made goblins happen. Yeah, that's true. By enslaving them. Would Gallywooks care, though, if there was I'm enough wealth involved? I'm not saying Gallywooks would care. I'm saying the Zandalar would care. Having a bunch of goblins show up is... That's, like, roughly the equivalent of... Uh, it's the, anathema. Yeah, it's... No, plus, we don't want that. Plus, These guys me, are the guys we like. Let me just say that I don't think that... I mean, even if the Loa had told Vol'jin, yeah, you should make Gallywooks leader, I think Vol'jin would have said, what? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? Could, Pick anyone could, else on the table. Anyone could else? You repeat that. <laughs> now the only the only other one that I could see that they could have named that maybe maybe would have been okay would have been Sarfang, and and that's because I think at that point there's enough mutual respect between the orcs and the trolls that it could have worked. Yeah, but, but he Saurfang, also wouldn't have wanted to pick a fight. Yeah, not Saur, at that point. Saurfang, I don't think that Saurfang would have done anything to the alliance because, I mean, if you've played through Wrath of the Lich King and you did Ice Crown Citadel, you saw what Varian did for Saurfang um, up on Ice Crown Citadel. He let him go ahead and grab the body of his son. If, if you play through it on Alliance side, if you play through it on Horde side, I think it's different. Um, it is. Yeah. But if you play through it on Alliance side... Varian tells his men to stand down and lets Saurfang come in and lets him leave with the body of his son. Like, he just, he lets him do it. And Jaina just completely dissolves into tears because she's like, oh my god, somebody's finally doing the thing that I wanted them to be doing. <laughs> and she says that she's proud of Varian. So, I mean, Saurfang has, he's not friendly with the Alliance by any standpoint, but he does have some respect for Rin. There's also a, a a layer of honor to everything he does too, there right? Is. Like, there so is. if if it's not honorable, he wouldn't do it. No, I don't uh, think that he would. You may not be right about that. Well, you know, we that you have, talk it depends about... on how you frame that honor. Like, if it's yeah. a duty, uh, I, it... I'm using his words, but they're spoilers for next week, so we can't talk about it. So yeah, let's just move on. We're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that then. Um, however, yeah, Tim, it's an interesting theory and. It's all kind of tied into Zandalar, so I hope you're a Horde player because uh, there's a lot going on over there, and there's more going on with what you suggested, and a lot of what you suggested will kind of be addressed in one way or another on Zandalar, so that might be something you want to play through. Um, I think that's going to wrap us up, though, because I think we're pretty much at the end of the show here. Uh, for you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, obviously, we've talked about a lot of books today. <laughs> what do we talk about? We talked about War Crimes. We talked about Before the Storm. We talked about Arthas very briefly. We talked about... Anyway, uh, Blizzard books that are available as audiobooks, they are available on Audible, and you can use that as your free audiobook download, including Before the Storm, the one that we've been talking to death for the past several weeks. You can use that as your freebie for that trial with Audible if you want to. Um you can download those titles. You can download thousands of others. Even if you don't want a Warcraft book, Audible's got plenty more to choose from. And you can sign up there by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do. Blizzard Watch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question on and on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience so final thoughts you guys um i know that we addressed what we kind of wanted to see out of sylvanas in the warbringer thing and we already saw what jaina and the warbringer thing had what do you guys hope to see out of the ashara warbringers joe uh i want to see more about the old Gadi deal and the city that she built sort of after the whole thing because I feel that we haven't gotten enough information about that at all, and I need more. Um, also, I feel that we might get a little bit more of that, because I need to know what the heck that thing during the Warbringers teaser was that was weird and fleshy and had a whole ton of orange eyes that opened up all at once. Uh, it was such a small little thing, but somebody pointed it out to me uh, last week. 
Uh, so thanks, Nin, for that. Um, and I can't unsee it, and I need to know more. Rossi, what about you? Well, we've been told that she made a deal with the old gods, but what we've ever seen is like a little tiny bit of them reaching out to her. I wouldn't mind getting to see that. Um, I have a pet theory that she didn't actually build the city, that she just inhabited one she happened to find. Nylatha, maybe? Maybe. Um, So that's one possibility right there. Uh, There's a reason that when you go into the Burning Crusade, it turns out that there's heretics that worship uh, Neptalon. And I think that's one of the reasons she targeted Neptalon. And I think you, of all people, made a point that you wanted to see it turn out that Neptalon was like a plant. Uh, yes. That he wasn't necessarily free. And that would be interesting. But I really mostly want to see just exactly. I would actually like to see. Was there any point where she felt like she was wrong? I don't think there was. So I want to see that. Yeah. I think what I want to see is not so much, you know, where she's been. Although I do want to see where she's been because it's been, what, 10,000 years? I would like to see what's going on in her noggin. And I don't know if one animated short is really going to cover all of that, but I kind of hope that we get a better glimpse into what she's thinking because the last time we saw her, she was the queen of an empire that crumbled around her and she took the only chance she really had at survival. What did she pay for that? And is she okay with what she paid for that? You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. Either which way, it will be very interesting to see. I don't know which one we're going to see, but I'm assuming that we're going to have another episode come out tomorrow, and I can't wait because Jaina was really good. Uh, Again, you guys, if you have any emails or uh, questions for Lore Watch, rather, you can email those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put Lore Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show, and we'll see if we can get to more of those next time. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.